Hey everybody, this is Dan Doty and you're listening to the Everyman Podcast and this is episode 6. Before we get going, I'm going to give a few updates about Everyman. We are, what we're doing right now is we're literally laying the foundation for what we see as a pretty big operation moving forward. We are putting in place organizational structures, we're building technology, we're um, organizing a potentially very large and exciting spread of retreats and expeditions for 2018 while putting the finishing touches on our retreats for 2017. This is all on the way. Things are going to be rolling out starting very soon. Our first newsletter is about to go out. If you have emailed in or you have put your email address in, please keep an eye out this week. You're going to start getting some information and some stuff from us. Every day I keep getting emails and messages from listeners and from others, and I am grateful for you being here, and I feel like we are on the right track. It's a really exciting time right now. So I hope you enjoy the show today. Today our guest is Jared Stewart. He's a husband, a father, a member of the Inupiat tribe of the of northern Alaska, and for work, he's an organizational consultant. He's got a company called Culture Flow, and he works to help organizations have better communication to run smoother and to be more effective. He's just a great dude. And um, this interview, this is maybe my favorite so far. There's something really, really special about this guy and about this talk. So I hope you guys enjoy. <laughs> All right, we're here. I'm here with Jared Stewart. We're in Portland, Oregon. We just ate. Uh, I have a belly full of tacos. And what was the name of that place? Porcano. Porcano. Like it was some. Those were some of the. I I, I bought two T-shirts that say I love tacos because it's true. <sighs> I thought that Porcano was a, a reference to a pork volcano, but no, it was. Uh, what does Porcano mean? It means why not right why not yeah why not i believe yeah. it's why not and their yeah. tacos are fantastic i've been going there for years yeah jared is uh he lives here in portland and uh has recommended two of the better meals i've had in a long time last night we had indian and, and uh tonight tacos and so jared uh, you know thanks for being here and uh give us a one minute bio who are you one minute bio who are you um, what do you do where are you from where are you who are you yeah, thanks for having me. I, I appreciate this opportunity. Um, who am I? A one-minute bio. So Jared Stewart, um, I'm an Inupiat tribe member from Alaska. Um, recently moved to Portland within the last five years. Um, more importantly, though, I'm a husband, father. Um, I've been doing my own organization development consulting practice for the last five years since I've moved out of Alaska. Um, just trying to do work to help people do things better, whatever that is, individuals, um, teams, organizations, regions, whatever that looks like, uh, that's what I try to do. Nice. And we met uh, a little over a month ago in April. Yeah, six weeks ago we met at a retreat called the group leadership intensive in Malibu, California, where part of what we did was stay up for two days. Well, sort of stay up for two days straight and learn how to uh, learn and practice how to lead groups, um, 
lead groups, right? I mean, lead groups. And yeah. I think one of the selling points was build a high performing team. Right. So right. yeah, it was a good experience. I, I was glad to get to spend time with you, get to know you. Yeah. Yeah. And as part of that retreat, we were put in the, I don't remember what they call them, learning groups or check-in groups or something. So, so we, we, we spent a fair amount of time over that, those five, six days and got to know, um, each other's backgrounds to a, to a pretty intimate level to, to, to a, you know, to an open level to a certain degree. And yeah, I was, uh, excited and thrilled to, I, I, I think there's, um, a lot to a lot to hear and learn and and i think your story is is really unique and uh all kinds of different emotions come up so i think the the thing one one thing i'm really excited about here is that you have done seemingly a lot of uh taken a lot of time to really know yourself and really be comfortable with who you are and be willing to share what you've gone through and that's what we're all about here. And so I don't think we have to preface it too much tonight. We can just kind of dive in. And um, your uh, childhood and personal history is um, just, to me, utterly, utterly fascinating and important, I think, too. So how about how about we just start? Why don't you share... Um, share your story and, and start from the early years. What, what, whatever really stands out to you, whatever feels right. And, and we'll just sort of dive deeper with it. Yeah, sure. I think, um, yeah. And thanks for that. Um, I mean, to think about the journey we're on and the transformations that take place and sort of those pivotal moments in life where, where you make changes for the better in your, in your life and you really get to know who you are and, um, build a set of values that you can live from. I think that's, um, that's part of the story I have. And part of, part of that was, you know, being really comfortable in my own skin and my being clear with my identity, who I am and how I want to show up in this world. And I think where, where that started, I, I was born in Utah. So my, my grandmother was a Mormon um, she converted to Episcopalianism after she married my grandfather. Um, my dad um, flew up to Alaska um, to the tiny town of Barrow, the proper Inupiat name. I'm an Inupiat tribe member, so the How Inupiat do you spell name, Inup- Yeah, spell it's that. I N U P I A T. Okay. Okay. Um, and Barrow is as far north as you can go in North America. Um, and that's where my mom came from. My dad ended up there working at a naval re- research facility. And so that's how my parents met. Um, so your mom was a tribe member. Yeah. Born and raised. Yeah. Born okay. and raised in Barrow. Yeah. Okay. Um, very young age, moved to Utah with my dad. They had me, were married, and I grew up there till I was six. And so I think one of those transition points for me was as a six-year-old coming from from Utah moving into Barrow, Alaska. And it was just as, it was a different world for me, like a different planet almost where I didn't have flushing toilets. I didn't have McDonald's or Dairy Queen or these like little comforts and fast food. You just didn't have that. All the roads were dirt. 
um, it was just a different a different world for me being transplanted into that. And, and so you were in Barrow proper, like the, the actual town. Of yeah, Barrow? it's just it's How a small town. It? You can't yeah. really. I mean, it's probably four to eight miles, like from one end to the other. So it's you're there's two sides of the town. One side's called Barrow side, and another side's called Browerville. And my family's the Brower family, so oh, wow. that gives you any kind of sense of. The family ties there is yeah. one side was that was called Browerville because of our family was fairly large. So you were six. Was this your, had you ever been on a plane before? Had you ever really traveled anywhere? Never been on a plane, never yeah. really traveled. So I get off the plane in, in Barrow and there's no toilets. And so my first experience there was going into my grandmother's house and she had a pot on the floor and they said there was a honey bucket to pee in which I've never seen a honey bucket. So I peed in one of my grandmother's nice pots that she used for cooking. And so <laughs> my first experience was basically getting Wait, scolded what? by my grandmother for peeing in her pot. <laughs> wow. What is a honey bucket? So a honey bucket's basically like it has a, it's a, a toilet, like an outhouse toilet with a seat on it. You put a trash bag in it and you use the restroom in that. And at the end of the week or the end of the month, the guy comes and picks up your, um, sewage material in a truck wow and so, is that because the, the ground is frozen and, and yeah they didn't dig. have the sewage systems that they have now so today they have regular running water toilets sewage systems that kind of stuff but okay. back then when i when i originally moved there it wasn't that. and so you're just like a a, a normal i shouldn't say it that way but you're just an american kid yeah. that grew up in utah in a little town right yeah you know, sunset sunset utah right outside of ogden yeah so it was a big transition away from all my cousins, my grandparents, um, a lot of people that I and, loved and saw all the time. And this grandma that yelled at you for peeing in her in her pot, did you were you just meeting her? She was super loving though. It wasn't like in a main way. It was just that I right, was embarrassed right. and she was slightly upset that her pot had just been pissed in. You should have just taken a shit in it. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been even more impactful. But um that lady was one of the most loving, gracious people I ever met in my life, and um, yeah. So she was a she's a big positive force for me. Interesting. So, um, what were the cir- circumstances of your like your whole your whole family moved up yeah. there, and and it was just a, a choice for for you guys to to do that. Yeah. Or what so was my the-, the reason we moved, my grandmother was ill. She was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. They didn't give okay. her much time to live, so my mother wanted to go back and be close to her mother. Um, she ended up living quite a long time after that. So, yeah. um, But the pivotal experience of going there, I think for me in terms of like discovering who I was and learning about this culture that was a part of myself that I hadn't known before, but what what I experienced there was there was a lot of race, like reverse racism, I would call it, I guess. It was just wasn't, I never felt accepted or like I belonged or, yeah. So I was always struggling to sort of fit in because the native foods are different. I wasn't raised on them. I couldn't eat them. Mm. So I felt a lot of shame about um, not knowing the language, not, not being able to eat the traditional foods or knowing a lot of that traditional knowledge. So your, your dad was white. Yeah, my dad's a white guy, last okay. name Stewart, um, Scottish descent. Uh, so yeah, definitely uh, a very 
white father and and a lot of people let me know about that and i guess one of the stories i have is they have these things called fourth of july games every year and as a kid you know six seven years old there were races you would run a race and if Mm. you won you you got 10 bucks and i would win these races and the kid after me were getting the 10 bucks and it was very like they wouldn't give you the 10 yeah, bucks? Yeah, they wouldn't give me the money, and they'd tell me I didn't win. And my mom would go yell at them and nothing. You know? So let's slow that down for a second. Like, how did that feel to a six-year-old kid? Oh, you know, like, I felt it was unjust. I didn't. Yeah. I, I clearly won. It, you know, like, you you just felt. It was one of those those things that kind of just let you know your place in the world and that system and that society. Like, I, I didn't huh. fit. You know, so I, it was adults and kids that, that had this? Yeah. And huh. there were fights. There were um, plenty of fights I got into as a result. Um, and then, but I had also developed friendships, a lot of close friendships and things like that too. Huh. And did you have any siblings that went with you? Um, my sister was very young. Like she was a toddler at the okay. time. Okay. All right. Um, and how long, how long did you live in Barrow? We were there... Um, probably about three years. Okay. So three years, um, eh, two years in Barrow. Okay. And well, well, let's get to that in a second. Can can you give a little bit of, um, cultural background and or historical background? Like, like, like what is the, tell, tell us more about the Inupiat. Am I saying it right? Yeah. The Inupiat tribe is, it's a, like an ancient tribe. They've been surviving in the North slope for thousands of years. Um, and, you know, I think over time there were a lot of whalers and ships and people looking to profit off of resource development in different ways over time that showed up there. And so the culture began to get mixed. There was a lot of Christian influence over time. So majority of, I would say majority of, of Inupiat are practicing Christians. Um, my grandmother was very much um, involved in the religion and prayer like a prayer warrior, um, which is which is an interesting part of the story of my life. Is just when all the people who prayed for me weren't praying for me anymore, and having that realization, mm. uh, there's nobody sending out good vibes in the world for me anymore, um, was an interesting piece. But but Barrow in itself is this crazy hub of diversity and life and business. And, you know, there's probably 4,500 people that live there today, but that's kind of involved. It's evolved as this trade center. Um, really? A new pet tribe, traditionally nomadic, you know, following food. And they had places where they set up and built homes and sought houses. And following what food? Like, um, like what? So the whale, the whaling season is huge. So my, okay. all my uncles, my grandfather was a whaling captain. A lot of my uncles are whaling captains and they still, um, the whale is a big source of pride, um, and provision for the village, for each of the villages and the tribe. And it's a big part of the culture and a lot of, and because it's such a huge food and resource, um, for the, for everybody, it's just almost many of the activities that you would do seasonally revolved around catching a whale. So it would all whale smell like, Oh man, it's got a (laughs) pungent smell. And I would say for me coming from, from a different culture, moving there, the smell was very strong. Like it's, it's a really powerful smell. And um, when they catch whales and when they butcher it, there's remnants of that around the village. You can walk around, you can, 
have a lot of whale smell going on as well as other yeah other traditional hunted animals so it's a it's a uh, it's a very rich tasting thing which i never really was able to acquire the taste for which also got shamed for as a kid you know just not being able to you know saying you're not a nupiak enough you're not you know yeah you're, you're too white or whatever wow and how long did that um period of not fitting in go did it ever end or was it your entire just, time never, up there? i just felt yeah. once i was in there it just really never ended i mean i had some really close friends that made me feel safe and special and i i ran around with those guys a lot but i i think there was enough of that happening where a lot of times i just didn't feel accepted or like i fit or belonged and there my home life was pretty tumultuous with my my parents they fought a lot it was and and a lot of times there wasn't there wasn't a big feeling of safety emotional comfort so yeah even even that i think puts questions in a young man's mind where like how do i belong where do i fit in what what am i doing here you know hmm so you were too white in a sense to fit in mm-hmm. i mean is that is that oversimplifying or is that I think, fair i think that's part of it you know and i think and there were many times many cases where i experienced that yeah. where i just didn't belong and then so when we left there i i started to build a sense of identity around that a sense of like okay i can make this work I've learned, I learned this system. I learned a lot of the words, the culture, the language. I'd been out on the ice to hunt the whale. Like a lot of the things I'd practiced and done, like, like been a part of. And so that started to give me a sense of stability. But right when I, right when I was to that point, it was time to leave. Wow. And so that sense of, okay, I'm getting a sense of mastery on this. Then it was time to move into the city. Crazy. You got to go out and hunt a whale? Yeah. Well, I didn't do it because I was a kid, so I wasn't right. out on the boat and doing the harpooning. But okay. um, I was part of the, the process of bringing it up, cutting it, riding my snow machine with sleds full of meat back into town out from the ocean. So, yeah, wow. it's, a, it's a big process bringing in an animal of that size. Yeah, how much do they weigh? I can't even. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't even. There's they're big animals um the the lot they're 28 to 60 feet right in length and damn. you can stand on top of them they're humongous damn so this weekend jared's been uh helping us at every man by consulting and helping us lay a, a smart organizational foundation and i've learned this week this weekend that he can be outside in 20 below weather or more with just a sweatshirt on. So it's cold as shit up there. Yeah. <laughs> it's really freaking cold. Like yeah. you're, you're freezing. Um, yeah. You, you're, if your hair is wet, that moisture in your hair instantly turns into icicles. Like it's, yeah. it wicks out quick. Um, and I'll caveat that being out in 20 below in a sweatshirt, it's not for a long period of time, but a decent amount of time where it's, it doesn't impact me like, yeah. like it would other people, but Portland cold rain weather, my hands go numb and I am like a little baby crying to get back into the heat. Yeah. So. I'm so like, 
like my curiosity alarms are going off so strongly. Like I, I, what, what was valuable and what was meaningful and what was beautiful about, about your time living up there? What, what did it like, what were the, like the golden parts of it? I, I think, um, there's a familial feel of it. Um, the community, it's so accepting in some ways. Um, but not, it's not ever like, I think where I, I was impacted negatively, it were in pockets. But I, when I go there now as a whole, I can, I can appreciate this familial feel of acceptance and the diversity that's there today. And um, I think as a whole, I've been able to experience that. Um, and there was a resiliency about it, um, the, the, like a perseverance that's inherent in living there and being in that environment of this is just harsh it's cold it's dirt it's you're you're taking your own toilet out to the curb and there's a water tank in your house and if it runs out you can't take a shower or fill your pot to cook until the water guy comes back Mm. so i mean there was just this sense of like you have to persevere and be resilient and figure things out um and to be able to survive. And so the survival sense, I think, was a really beautiful piece of that. And the adapt, being able to know that I could adapt, like I could figure out how to be in different culture in different situations. Hmm. And um, I think from that was one of the, one of the best gifts I got was just that adaptability and flexibility of being able to go like almost anywhere on the planet and feel like I could fit in. But that came a lot later. Yeah. Yeah, the the realization of that came later. So how much of the culture of the Anupiaq culture did you fully... Earlier today we were talking and you said that you, you, you took on the, the speech patterns or, or the, the accent. So, so how, I mean, that's one example, but how deeply did you, did you, did you dive into the culture there? I think I tried... Like, for me, I tried my best to fit in so that I could get along with people, so that I wasn't fighting, so that... You know, if I participated in something where there was a prize at the end, I could get the prize. And so I was trying to learn how to be in that system. Um, so I learned a lot of the, there's a definite, there's a definite accent in the way people talk. There's, there's, you intersperse your speech with Inupiaq words. So you would speak the language and burst, um, you know, like I could mm. ask my friends how to sleep over at the house, like in Inupiaq, which you want to sit talk at my house. And they, that means come sleep over. And you could, you know, you just kind of pick those things up. Um, and it helps, it helped me get grounded and uh, it helped me understand. And in the time I didn't realize it, but it helped me understand a lot more of who I am, like my own identity. And um, later on in life, being able to like really have acceptance around that. Yeah. And you went by Jared. Jared. Um, some people call me Kupak. That's my Inupiaq name. Um, so a lot of times when I'm in the village, people are, some people will call me that and other people will just call me Jared. Um, and I'm comfortable either way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And did you have that name before you moved up there? Yeah. My mom did? gave me that at birth. It's on my birth certificate. So. Oh. Yeah. Wow. So well, that's your actual name. It's in my, it's a middle name in oh. my string of names. Yeah. What's your full, how many names do you have? Well, I, I have a, my middle name's after my great-grandfather, Charles DeWitt Brower. So it's DeWitt. And um, my last name is Stuart. So Jared Kupak DeWitt Stewart. That's a beefy name. That's a strong yeah, name, my friend. Uh, yeah, on my yeah. birth certificate. 
Amazing. So a couple years is all you spent up there. Yeah. And then what? Then then what? And then we moved to Anchorage. Oh, really? So I left Barrow into Anchorage and I went to school and grew up the rest of my life in the Alaskan city of Anchorage. So Wow. It, and it was a traumatic reentry um, out of that culture again. Like I was telling you earlier, I had a, when I got back to Anchorage, I had a tail. So on the back of my hair was a little tail, and that was a what rat the, tail. Yeah, a rat tail. Basically, that's what the kids did there, and so that's Here, what that, I did. Right, that cord that's stuck under there, um, your leg keeps bumping it and it keeps making a noise. So just uh, maybe put it up over top the. Uh, there you go. Thank you. I don't know if that's going to be better. No, that's that's way better, yeah. Okay. So the the rat tail? So I had a rat tail. I had a, a, a different way of speaking so that I'd picked up. And so and I sort of got some flack and made fun of for that, moving back, you know, hmm. going back into a, a predominantly, Anchorage is a diverse city, but predominantly white neighborhood is where we ended up moving. And that's kind of the kids that I, I grew up around. And I had a funny accent and a funny tail. And so I sort of had to relearn, like, how do I fit in here? So again, it was like a sense of, I don't belong here. Right. So I think as a kid, that was a message that I kept feeling and receiving, like you don't belong. Mm. So, and I, I think as I moved into adolescence and early manhood, I had a lot of anger and shame around that. It's just like trying to figure out who I was and where I belonged and what was my purpose. And, what would the, what did the reality of that look like? Like, what did that mean for you? Like that, that you were, I mean, did it, did it come out? Did you hold it yeah, inside? And I, I mean, like my mom, she struggled with alcoholism her whole life growing up um, at, while I was younger. Um, she's fully kind of recovered from that. Um, she's a great grandma now, but during that time, you know, it was very random in my household. Like it just, well, it, it never felt all the way safe i mean i i felt safe from many perspectives and my parents were at everything they were there for me they bought everything but there were just a lot of moments where you know emotionally and and with some of that alcoholism going on it was just uncomfortable right and Mm. um and some violence you know there was some violence that happened and it was just and that had kind of happened my whole life it was just something that was a part of me so if, think, if you're willing and we don't have to, but, but just to, to be a little more specific or, or, or slow down a little bit, not just blow past that. So, I mean, did you get beat up? Did, did your mom get beat up? Was it? Oh uh, no. So my dad was never violent. It's just that my mom had a very, her temper and, and those early years was really, really strong. Gotcha. And so it would come out, you know, getting hit. And I think, you know, those types of moments are just, you know, they stick to you, right? They, yeah. they hurt a lot and cause it's your mother and it's someone you care about and who's supposed to love you and take care of you. And, uh, over time, like, and through, through different avenues, I've learned to forgive that and move past that. And, um, and just have those conversations with my mother, like just frankly, you know, about, right. you know, how do we heal from that and how do we move forward as a family and make those things better? But, at that time growing up, you know, that anger and those things, they just kind of piled up, you know, I carried it around. It was heavy. Yeah. So as a young man, just carrying the weight of like, I don't belong. And 
there's you know my parents don't get along and I there's I don't think they care if I'm here or not I I I'm not sure you know that kind of questioning I had in my mind yeah what what pulled you along or what pulled you through is it I mean for me it was athletics like I just go into sports like I've wanted to be awesome at football and basketball baseball like I just love playing sports and like doing that with my friends as much as possible in Alaska you like as a kid you can play football till like in the summer like one in the morning right you're playing football all day your score is like 150 to 200 and you're just (laughs) non-stop playing football till midnight or 1 a.m so just Those, like t- tomatoes can grow to be what 50 pounds yeah and, and i yeah. think as i moved into high school it was basketball i just like i became i mm. got infatuated and in love with basketball and played that sport until all the way through college nice yeah well that's a no it's, we're laying a good foundation that um what yeah where did what was your what was the next step in your life and you can uh feel free to fast forward here you know what yeah. What i'd like to hone in on are the the foundational things the transformative parts of your life like um i know you know you're a dad now and one thing i'm really uh, we were talking earlier today and, and you shared that um in your family when your kids turn 13 they get to have a week-long trip with so for the boys with their dad or with the girls with their mom right Mm -hmm. to go anywhere that they want and it's a sense of uh it's a rite of passage in a sense right yeah and um you know i so yeah i'm curious like what were what were other rites of passage who were people that really uh made a real big impact on you and yeah so um I think I, I got out of high school just, and I wanted to play basketball and that was all I wanted to do. Like I could care less about academics. So I, I found a place to play basketball and I ended up here in Portland and I had a coach named Aaron Muick, um, who just railed me and humbled me more than any coach I ever had. And it was like the best at the time I hated it. Like it wasn't, it felt uncomfortable. It made me mad. I, I thought I was, so talented and all of these things which you know were mostly probably fabricated in my own mind about how special I was and how great I was at basketball and he just would he just humbled me and made me work like and it was like the best thing for me ever and so he was he was a tremendous mentor and um gave me a really great foundation of just like you need to be humble and you need to work really freaking harder than the next guy if you want to be successful and I think um, I was a Christian university I went to, and I'm a Christian, and so a lot of those principles and foundations for my religion, like he just helped me see how to like practice them and use those to better myself. And so it was one of the people that showed me those that there is some practical advice and wisdom out of those spiritual tools and teachings that hmm. that I most of the time didn't pay attention to or care about mm-hmm. at that younger age. And you were a shooting guard, right? Yeah. 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 So I was a scoring guy. And so it was like not to play or to miss minutes or to have to work out at 5 a.m. when everyone else didn't have to because I was being a jerk in practice or my grades were low. You know, he just kept me honest and kept me humble. And he went above and above beyond. I mean, he showed up for me when no other 
other people wouldn't, I think. Nice. So you mentioned uh, being a Christian and, and, and that's been a lifelong, is that lifelong? You were, yeah, you were, it's a lifelong. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'd say it's, it's been part of my practice. And like growing up, it was like Christmas and Easter were the only times we went to church. Mm. But as I matured into an adult, it was just something I sort of stuck with and that my grandmother sort of imparted like the imparting of prayer and scripture and using those things as tools to um, quiet yourself and be aware and speak to your maker really. Hmm. So uh, for me, that's, those were the things I got out of it from my grandmothers. Cool. And when they weren't there anymore, just realizing I had nobody else who was giving me any of that kind of advice. Right. Interesting. And, and so that was a part of the, your coach that it was not just basketball advice that he was giving you. No, he, he, he was, was, uh, was like, he, yeah. it was about being a man and being alive and being a person. And it was, um, powerful. And I think that's at the time, it's like one of those things you look back on and you realize how impactful that was for you. Right? Yeah. Oh, I have a good question. Maybe this is going to be a question we, we, we stick with in these podcasts, but, um, when did you, when do, if you had to pick one moment in your life that you became a man, when was that? Oh man, the moment I became a man. So I, I shared this story with you at GLI. We said we got pretty intimate and, um, on my 30th birthday, I woke up in a jail cell and, um, it was a stark realization for me and, I, and you know, s- sitting there in the orange suit and being in a cell with a cellmate uh, who I, I didn't know was going, he kept slapping himself in the face and very twitchy and I, I didn't know I was in there. And then halfway through the night, a guy who had just killed his girlfriend and resuscitated her back to life was in the cell with me. And I just, I remember just going so deep into myself in that moment, like, I had nowhere else to go but as deep into myself as I could. And I think for me, that was a moment where God just kind of spoke to me. Like, however people realize that or speak to that, for me, it was God, like, sending me a message. Like, you're going to change, and you're going to be better, and I'm going to help you. And I felt like it was just really not the first time I felt like I wasn't alone from that, but it was like one of the first times I realized like how big of a facade I had built up, Mm. how much of an ego I had, how, how much I placed value on things that weren't valuable, how many lies I believed about the world and about who I was. And so it was just this catalytic moment. Um, Wow. It was just my, it was my birthday, like my birthday waking up in a cell and a guy, my dad, who largely emotionally checked out for me in a lot of ways, was the one who showed up to pick me up. And uh, it was just a really, really surreal moment. Um, and I, and not being able to even see my family because of my behavior. Right? I was like, I couldn't see my wife or my kids. All I had left was my job. Wow. So everything I cared about was gone. And this thing that I had worked on so hard, my career, right? And I, Which and was I, what at that time? What you're doing so now? So I, I was a strategic program manager at 
our tribe's corporation, which is called um, Arctic Slope Regional Corporation, that we our tribe owns. And I was working there, and my whole life I thought I would work my way up to the top. That was just what I wanted to do. I wanted to climb the ladder and lead this organization. And so that's how I behaved. Like I wanted to, I thought that was who I wanted to be. Wow. So, and so I would go, so to caveat that I would be at a conference or I'd be somewhere and I'd be telling them how much of a family man I was, but not being checked in at all at home not being there for my kids, traveling too much. Um, and even if I was home, drinking too much and being checked out and not paying attention. Um, so at 30 years old, you were married and you had one three kid? Three kids. Wow. Yeah, so wow. married at three kids at 30, um, little little kids. And, yeah. Um, and it was just one of those moments um, where... And, and it was at a time I was in grad school. I was in grad school and I was learning behavioral science. And so there were a lot of factors that sort of started playing into that, like of how to build self-awareness. And it just kind of came to a head. And hmm. you wake up that and, and just realize like it was a moment where I of clarity, right? I just, this is what's important. I, like my family's important. Being honest is important. Um, doing what I say I'm going to do is important. And, and just saying, what am I, what am I going to do to like make, get better from this, to heal from this, to make sure that I can go back home into my house and be a good dad and be a good husband and be a good listener and whatever, all those things that it looks like, you know, to live that part of my life really well. So you said that you weren't, all you had left was your job. And so you weren't able to see your family no um so that what happened was and it was just i got my wife called the cops on me because i was um drunk and i was being violent and it it was scary i was being scary and she didn't feel safe in her own house okay and um and it was and it was she needed to do that and like it was, and I needed, I want her to feel safe. And it was like a moment where I just, it was a moment where she helped us change, but she did what she had to do to, to protect, to protect the family. And, um, it was a, it was very courageous because I think a lot of women don't make that call, you know, and things slide downhill from there. Right. Wow. So, um, so it was one of those times where just you, you realize like I screwed up, like I've been screwing up for a long time. Yeah. And I've been on autopilot, like really just on autopilot, like chasing something that had no value or worth. Wow. And so that was, that was the snap the fingers. It snapped. Right. And, um, wow. Yeah. So I spent a lot of time in the mountains with my Bible and I wrote a contract with, God and said, this is the type of person I'm going to be from now on. Man. And I signed it. And, um, within two weeks, um, my wife called me, we were, we started working on stuff and I went to counseling. 
I've found counselors and life coaches and therapists and all kinds of people to help me because one of the things I wanted to make sure was, is my mental health okay? Is my physical, is there something physical wrong with me? So I went to the doctor and got checked and mm. I, I just made sure like, okay, if there's things in my body and my spirit and all these things that I can't, I can fix, I want to fix them. Right. Yeah. And, um, so I got as much help as possible and, um, and just really did that work to, to find support and healing. And, um, you asked me a question about mentors and, um, and during this time, another man showed up in my life, um, named Greg McCormick. Um, he was a pastor of my church and, and I feel like a lot of pastors would, would not, I've, I, that I've met, just some of them don't help you to feel like you can be you or be real or be raw or be honest. And he was that guy. Like, he just like, just tell me how it is. Like, tell me your feelings, you know, be honest with me, be raw. Let's, let's be real men here. Like, I lo- wait, wait, I want to, you to, re- I want to, I want you to repeat a few that that like, you just lit me up there. Tell me how it is. What an amazing phrase. Let's be men here. Let's be raw. That's, that's beautiful shit. Keep going. Yeah. I just wanted to repeat that. And that's just how he, I mean, he's like that today. He mentors men and he pushes men to be better and different. And he asked you the hard questions, you know, he was one of the first person I was, I was kind of giving a fib to him right to his face. And he goes, are you lying to me right now? <laughs> and I was like, I've been lying to people for years. And I was like, yeah, I just lied to you, man. I'm sorry. You know, it was like, yeah, you know, in my job and in my life and like, I lied and lied and lied. And it was one of those moments where like, crap, I, I do that all the time without thinking. Yeah. And so he's, he was just a very strong presence in my life that helped me. I want to rewind just very briefly. And I don't know if there's anything here or not, but do you think that looking back that there would have been that there, that there were signs like, did you have any recognition or, or notice of what was going on before you woke up in the, in the, in the jail cell? Or was it really just like a, holy shit. I think there were signs. I mean, it was, it was coming to a head and it had been coming to a head. Um, and I was disconnecting myself more. Um, and I don't know what, I think we, we had a third kid and my family makeup of my family, my house growing up and the house that I was raising became exactly the same configuration. Like my kids like are almost the same space as me and my brothers and sister were. And I, I don't know what happened there, but something like clicked in me where I felt like I really went on autopilot and just started enacting the worst of what my parents had taught me over life. Like I just started to become like all the worst attributes of them and playing that out and living that out in my own home. And I, and that's the clearest way I could say it. And I noticed it. Yeah. Um, and I noticed it because I was training to be a behavioral scientist, to be a consultant, right. and right. they made you navel gaze to a degree. And so yeah. I started to crack open some of these things. And I think, um, and it, what a gift and what a blessing, but at the same time, I just, right. holy shit, I needed help. Like there was, 
I didn't know where to go. Like I asked everyone I could possible for help, man. I'm so, um, two questions. One, one, I want to know what a, what you said, behavioral, behavioral science, science. Yeah. So I want to know what that means and what that is. But before we get with that, I'm just, want to hear what you think about this. Like what I've been noticing in our groups and with the guys I work with that, um, the immense power of simply being aware of what's going on seems to push on its own accord things to change. I feel like, I feel like, uh, I don't know, you know, like, on one hand your story is completely unique and on another hand like a lot of us i can relate man Mm -hmm. i can relate to like a big chunk of my life where i just was clueless to what i was feeling what i was doing and how i was impacting others and, and all of that and um i think that uh so i mean what i hear you saying is that you started studying this thing which somehow started you tuning in more into yourself yeah and i think (laughs) <laughs> it, it seems to be the case to me that when you tune into yourself, you can't, if you really give that a good shot, you can't ignore as much what's going on. Right. And so if there's shitty things going on, you kind of have to, I'm not making a coherent argument, but I just, I, uh, it doesn't seem to me potentially to be a, a surprise that you started studying this behavioral stuff. And then all of a sudden, like, holy shit, things come to a head and things have to change. Yeah. It, it, right? I think it, it, it is, for me, the behavioral science models were just all about learning how to monitor your own behavior, looking at your family of origin, history, um, all the things that play into your behavior as a human. How am I behaving? How am I showing up? How are my interpersonal skills? How do I how if I can't change myself how can I go in an organization and help people change and so all of that to me was about awareness like Mm. building up a level of awareness that's ultra heightened like if I wanted to be effective my awareness level going in to a client office I have to notice Mm. a lot of different things that other people aren't noticing like what's an example like like I'll give a recent example like just in a meeting, like how someone never looks a person in the eye or acknowledges another person in the room when they're, when they're talking. Right. And other people are used to it, but me being able to go up to that person or those people and say, why don't you ever engage? Or you don't look this person in the eye or those types of things. You just notice those little cues. Right. Mm. Um, and, but also in your other things like patterns, like of behavior, like, when you meet every week, this is what happens and you never get things done because of that. So you're just paying attention. You're paying attention and it's this, and I, I think it's heightened, right? And I think mm-hmm. a lot of my life I spent trying to figure out how can I get myself to be as comfortable as possible? Okay. Like everything I was doing was like trying to set myself up to be comfortable. And um, what I realized was when you do that, you get comfortable and you get complacent and you quit caring and everything just sort of runs on its own Mm. and you quit being aware and you quit thinking, is this healthy anymore? Is this good? And to heighten up and bring back that awareness, 
allows you to see that pattern or to see those behaviors that are not helping you anymore. They might have served you to survive at a point in time, but today sure. they're wrecking your life. So behavioral science, it's it's not straight up psychology. No. It's not sociology. It's and, is is it directly self or or, or, or yeah. and how do you train it? Yeah, how, so how the do you model practice? we we learned was at every level. So behavioral science from an individual, from a group, from a team, from a organization, from country, all these different levels is okay. how they talk about behavior and culture and, and how we form as, as people in groups, basically. Um, and that's all it is, is just looking at behavior and the patterns and the shared beliefs and all of those things. And I think, um, like I, ha- I had a belief that I, to be successful, to be valuable, to be whatever I needed to be like a CEO of a company right. back in, in my early on in my career. And like when I woke up in this prison cell, like that became entirely untrue for me. Like it wasn't true anymore. It didn't hold value to me. It didn't, it wasn't a shiny thing to chase anymore. It was something that actually took me away from what I really cared about. What, so was your, your pursuit of of this career? Do you believe that built into your, your sort of ignorant, (laughs) ignoring of other things? I think so. I think it, it, in just building patterns that were unhealthy and not paying attention and not living out values that I said. So my integrity was going down and down and down. And I just didn't feel like I was who I wanted to be. And, um, I think that that was the story. I mean, that's a journey of of my whole life was just trying to figure out who am I? Like, what, why am I here? Like, is this, why do these things matter to me? And I think, in that moment, it became very clear, you know, walking out of that jail cell, it became very clear what was important to me and what kind of purpose I wanted to have in this life. And I've made a lot of steps to intentionally, like, direct my life and my behavior in that direction. Nothing's it's perfect, but, you know, you keep working at it and getting better. And how old are you now? 38. Shit, that's only eight years ago. Yeah. Wow. And what it, you know, how would you describe the, the, the shifts that have come? Like what has, Oh, it's amazing. Um, so even just as a result of doing the work and my wife and I started doing work together as a couple and building up our marriage and, um, fixing things that were broken there and just going through that process of healing and reconstruction and just like breaking everything down to build it back up again um, was really powerful for our family members to watch. Like they saw it happening. Hmm. Um, And a lot of people got healthier and better as a result, I think. Um, Like like who? I'd say my my mother changed a lot in that time. Like she got a lot of help. She, she's um, become a great grandmother good mom she's there for you she's she's changed so much you know from from how it used to be growing up and i i think part of that maybe is is part of this process but she also did she went and did the work mm-hmm. yeah a lot can happen in eight years i yeah. mean a lot can happen in eight months oh my a lot can happen in eight days yeah eight minutes eight seconds i'm gonna keep going yeah. <laughs> um so 
okay, so who are you now? Me? Like right now, like right, right now, who are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm Jared Stewart, you know, and I think, um, who I'd say I am, I'm, I'm trying to figure out more of who I am, but also I'm a dad. I'm a consultant. I try to be as helpful as I can to people who call on my services and help them have healthier relationships at work and build things that work really well and put their intention out and in, to the world in a way that has integrity. So living their values. Um, I'm, I, I love my wife and my kids so much. Like I, I feel like, that's such a big driver for me. Like anything else outside of that, like it, all of everything I do is to kind of protect that and keep that very sacred. Um, and I, 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 I admit like I've had a lot of struggles this year and I'm moving into a phase of life where I have teenagers and it's new territory and I'm fumbling my way through that like crazy like how do I deal with this guy who's because he's my son he was my baby I held and now he's just like man he's huge he's a big guy and he's driving and he has a girlfriend he's going to college next year and so these types of transitions are always happening and so I think how do I stay aware and present and all that and I, I know I still mess up a, a ton but just trying to keep myself honest and humble about I don't have the answers, but I'll, I'll work to figure it out. And if I mess up, I'll make it right. Nice. Nice. It's funny when you were, so I asked you, who are you? And then immediately I loaded a second question in my head and it was, what do you care most about? But you went there, <laughs> you went there on your own. So family, <laughs> wife and kids beyond that, beyond that, what, what are, what do you care most about? I really, really care about my tribe. Um, and my Inupiat heritage and the culture. And I, I've built almost my entire business and cult and consulting practice around pushing that and developing that and helping all of the different entities and people that I can through what I've learned. Um, and, and how do I, how do I take my consulting practice and who I am into that work and affect positive change? And, I've been pretty dedicated to that mission for a long time. And I, and I, I think even in the early age, I, I realized that, um, you know, things that I had shame around, like I love now and it's a, it's a beautiful transformation. Like mm. it's something I, I protect an old dear and mm. it's part of me. And what, um, what needs to be protected with, with your culture? What needs to be, what needs the love and the attention? I, I think, um, there's a lot of social issues with drug and alcohol abuse and young men and women struggling to find their own identity and purpose and their own path in the world. And I think one of the things I'm, I'm pretty passionate about is building up systems for those young people to be able to find that and supporting them. Um, and I had a really, really great project I did um, through Inuit Circumpolar Council where we, we held education think tanks about how do we indigenize education and bring those cultural pieces like so we don't lose our language, so we don't use lose heritage or hunting rights or traditions that we've held for thousands of years. And I think 
those are the things that are important to the tribes and me and other people doing this work. And it's, you said something that stuck with me and that was that, you know, um, a school book will show up, 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 uh, up in Barrow and up there and we'll have pictures of streets and street signs and things like that. And, and, and that's not at all what life looks like. up yeah. there. So when you said indigenize, education is that something is that yeah, part of so what you some mean of that's, is, that... is putting in our language and our animals that are caribou whales seals um right. polar bears like animals that kids recognize and see out in their real life um mm-hmm. it's not so disconnected when it's done that way um and there are there are a number of charter schools and schools that are doing that and teaching immersion language and their worksheets have um, have pictures of seals and the the local animals on them, and some of their work is about how to prepare those when you've caught them, like how you mm. do that. So perpetuating those hunting traditions that they've held on to. So you learn cultural aspects, but you also learn practical thing you can take home and help your family with. Cool. Yeah. What is the state of of guys, men, and in, in the in the tribe is is there anything that stands out or well i one of the things in my work in the businesses in the offices if you will it's largely females that are there um and so a lot of times even i'll hold a summit or a conference or things and 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 some rate the women are asking where are the men and and largely there's a hunting and outdoors and mechanical sort of culture going on. But I, I think in, in a lot of degrees, when you look at the, the drug and alcohol abuse rates, the suicide rates, the teen pregnancy rates, um, almost every negative statistic, they're, they're abnormally high. And I think a lot of our men are lost in, in some of that with, and they're searching for their identity because on one hand, they, they're they being told you need to learn how to be a businessman or make money or have a job or a trade. On the other hand, you're being told you need to learn your language and be a hunter and mm. carry the culture with you. And so I think it gets split and you end up in this identity crisis, which I feel like I felt a great portion of my life. Instead of accepting, like, I can be both or either or and accept that and be who I am and what's my purpose. Like, as a man, like, for me, I'm really good in the business aspects. And so that's where I went to. And I think it's been largely helpful for the tribe to have businessmen around and yeah. helping set up structures that help them support making money and having programs and doing those sorts of things. And then there's some guys, I think they're. I have cousins that are amazing hunters and providers and giving food to elders and those types of practices that are being, but how do we help them feel super comfortable, whichever path they choose or what identity they choose, um, within that realm. And is it possible to, to hold both and to be both or, or is that just a, I I think it is. I, on, I believe it's very possible to sort of take, take your path and make it your own. And if you can be a hunter and a businessman, you can do that. If you, if you want to be a leader and tribe where there are people are craving you to step up into those positions and say, yeah. I'm here, I'm a man and I'm ready to, to work. 
Um, and I think that's, that's a question. We're just waiting for the guys to show up. And I'm starting to see it a lot more now with the younger generation. They're definitely showing up um, to a lot more and, and they're, they're moving into positions of leadership roles and it's, it's exciting. Are you one of those? I mean, are you in a leadership role? I would say in a lot of ways I am, but I also, in my, in our culture, you don't really say, I mean, the humility aspect of that, like, it feels weird to say that to me, like I'm a leader, right? And, um, so there's a humility aspect of that. Yes, I'm out there. I'm showing up every day. I'm leading groups. I'm facilitating think tanks. I'm doing work. Um, but I see for me, I see myself as like a support structure for something that they haven't had traditionally, like an Inupia tribal member who knows facilitation skills and organization development skills. Like it's just a, yeah, it's something I bring that that's not always been there. I, yeah identity is is a is a monster in a sense huh i mean like makes me think of recently we've been have a couple podcasts with um military veterans and and the confusion that comes from being in service and and being in the service and and being on deployment and then coming home and being in a different world and being a civilian but not fitting in as Mm. a civilian and then not having your other community i mean it's it's you know a very rough analog here but um yeah like it's pretty remarkable to see the the havoc that seems to be created by not knowing one's place by not feeling fully empowered in identity to be split in an identity yeah you know it's uh it can it tears you apart i mean i, I mean that's literally how i felt like i felt like i was being torn apart um in that moment of where it, I didn't feel like I fit or I wasn't good enough or I didn't belong. Right. That whole negative um, role that goes through your mind. And if, how do you one, like learn to have acceptance mm-hmm. like and forgiveness and how you become aware of that and aware of the patterns that you don't want to do anymore and change them. I think, for me, that was, that was huge. And I, I think I had a lot of crutches and alcohol was one of them. And, um, adrenaline, getting adrenaline rushes was another, you know, I, Mm. I rode mountain bikes and I broke my arms and I hurt myself all the time because I was seeking adrenaline and, Mm. you know, and those kinds of adrenaline seeking trips, like kept me also away from my family. Mm. So I think there's a sense of like, I can run from this, you know, I can escape, you know, that kind of thing. And you set up those kind of comforts. And how about, how, how about the Christian identity? How, how does that, how does that play in your life? It's, it's fascinating to me. I I grew up going to church every Sunday. It was a huge part of my family's life. Mm -hmm. I have, uh, I still hold very, very close and dear to, to, what I always believed were basic Christian values. And, and, uh, and yet I look around my life and the great majority of people in my life are, are not, or don't identify as Christian at all. And, and I don't, I don't, you know, I don't think I make the mistake of thinking that 
my life is the norm, right? It's not. Um, but, uh, I, it's refreshing to me and it's, uh, when you speak about your faith, it, it feels so solid and it feels so important and I'm, I'm drawn to that when you talk about it mm. and, uh, yeah, I'm not, I don't have direct, I don't have like a question for you here, but, it, but if you're willing to talk a little bit more about your faith and, and what it means to you and how it fits into your life. Yeah. You know? I think, um, my faith is so important to me, but I, th- I th- I've had an experience with it that validated things for me. Um, and I think, I, I think these experiences, I just felt like there were moments where, you know, I was touched by God and he truly spoke. To, I mean, I, there was a moment I was reading my Bible and the book of Philippians sitting on a mountainside overlooking the cook inlet and a beautiful day. And it was probably like two days after my experience of spending a night in jail and just audibly hearing Jared, I need, I'm here for you. I'm going to help you through this. Like, and getting a call to action to go start doing a few things. Mm. And it was just a powerful moment. Like there's these powerful moments in my life where my faith really lined up and the story of Christianity actually played out in my own experience. And, um, and I know that doesn't happen for everybody. And I feel like sometimes it feels disconnected to share that story to people. But for me, it's like these, they're just moments where I can't deny that a higher power that God stepped in and, spoke to me or I heard a small voice that said something and when I did it like everything that I knew was going to happen if I did that happened and it was just that faith to to really believe that little voice you know that small voice that came um that I heard um and I think like it's probably the weirdest example but I have a best friend and he lives up in Seattle and he was dating a girl and I hadn't talked to him in like six months and I was feeling really bad. And, um, I just all of a sudden heard a voice say like, call Aaron and ask him when he's getting married. (laughs) Wow. And I was like, what? I'm not doing that. And so I, I called him. I'm like, when are you getting married, dude? And he was like, what the hell? I've been trying to call you for a week. (laughs) And he's like, he had my phone number wrong and he had just proposed to his girlfriend like the day before and I was like you know how do you get that message out of nowhere and I I, for me it was just like these little validation points for me and my faith that that built onto that and the practice of prayer like for me is so centering like um it's a quiet time of me just talking to my maker and it's um I get so much out of that Mm -hmm. um and I don't do it well all the time. I feel like it's it's a meditation in many ways, and it's a prayer, and it's just me talking to my maker, you know, about mm-hmm. being raw, about being honest, about this isn't working, I need help, you know, those mm-hmm. types of cries, and, you know, or just gratitude, you know, thank you for providing, and, you know, that we have a roof over our head today, and food to eat, and good schools to go to, you know, those okay. types of practices i think are super important and i and as a christian you know the story of jesus is just that's the story man it's like 
it's incredible and amazing and it's mystical and it's just has so much power and I've just seen so many people like get pulled up out of the dirt from it like and flip a 180 into like an amazing life because of it so I it just lines up that way for me yeah yeah that's beautiful now you speak about it in in a it's such an attractive way to me personally Mm -hmm. like it's it's uh it makes so much sense um that yeah to hear you talk about it I, yeah, I gotta say, I've just, I think that, uh, you to me in a lot of ways epitomize, um, what I hope for in a sense, all of us, but for guys specifically, like I just, I, I just, I think that you, you so strongly are like relaxed and calm with who you are. You know who you are. You're, you you're, you're generous. You're, you're, you're 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 like just i find you to be a very very like impressive man in Mm. in such a humble and straightforward and relaxed and simple way and i think it's amazing what you're um what you're doing with uh, with your work and and i think that um i yeah no i'm i feel i feel blessed to know you and i think i think your family is lucky i really do and um so i think the question that i would maybe end this with would be what do you hope for um maybe the next generation and you could take that any direction you want or for for your sons or your daughters or like what what do you what do you hope to what do you want for them yeah um and that's a powerful question my hopes for my the next generation my sons and daughters i really just want my kids to grow up in this healthy in a healthy environment that's safe and warm and there's community and it's not all happy and fluffy and whatever there's mess there but we know how to deal with that in healthy ways and and I want them to know who they are you know I want my I want people to know who they are if they don't feel they have that grounding like how do we help people find that identity and that truth within themselves that they know, you know, it's there, it's waiting. Um, and some, it's hard to find sometimes, but I want that for people. I I really do. And I think that's, that's one of the things I'm very passionate about is just helping people find that purpose and that identity of just knowing. And, and then also knowing like who I'm evolving because today is different than yesterday and tomorrow is definitely going to be different than today was. And so to keep those awareness practices really high, like just don't stop being aware and get on autopilot because it's comfortable, you know, push yourself to, to stay aware and build those types of practices. So I I would hope that I can impart some of those things in my kids and the people that are coming behind me and just leave those as a legacy. Amazing. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for, for, for being you and thank you for sharing. Yeah, thank you. I, I appreciate um, the time here, and uh, and uh, I can't wait to see what what's next. Amen. All right, guys. Amen. Later. Thanks. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. I hope that you gleaned some important stuff out of that talk. I I sure did. What a what a really incredible dude Jared is. So I thank him again for being here. Thank you guys for listening. If you are 
willing and interested, we could use your help right now. And it's it's a simple task or a couple simple tasks. If you'd be willing to go to our iTunes podcast site and leave us a review, that would go a long way. It would be very helpful for what we have going on. You can also plug into our social media network. We are on Instagram and Facebook, and I'm personally on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as well as Dan Doty or Daniel Doty at uh, Twitter. That helps. Uh, we are working on our social media presence and getting some help with that. So we don't have a ton of stuff on there, but but we're working on it. Uh, one of the things we're working on is making a way to have a uh, this idea of the weekly challenge or weekly stretch become a social media-based thing, and we can just use a hashtag or something to organize it. So um, your weekly challenge this week is to come up with your own challenge. So in our groups... We call them, we really have to decide this, but sometimes we call them stretches, sometimes we call them challenges. And the purpose of these is that at the end of each meeting, and we can consider this podcast as a meeting, it kind of serves the same purpose in a way, we come up with, everyone comes up with one actionable, measurable task or action that you can take during the week until the next time we meet. For me, this week in my group, it was to come up with a well, to create basically an action plan to keep my house clean. My wife and I, uh, we have a young child and we're building two businesses and we're incredibly busy and our house isn't a disaster, but it's but it's sometimes it, it uh, begins to get stressful. So I came up with a, a very clear plan for us to uh, both get some help and take our own time to, to, to take care of what we need to do to have, a, to have an orderly and, and calm home. So that was my challenge this week, and uh, that's just one example of pretty much anything. But you want to be careful, again, like I said, it needs to be an actionable item and a measurable item. So it has to be a tangible thing, and the effect of it should push you forth on in an area of growth in your life, right? That it should make you slightly uncomfortable. It shouldn't be something too easy. Maybe it's something you haven't, you've been ignoring forever, Maybe it's uh, simply just being in an environment that makes you slightly uncomfortable and you're going to go practice being comfortable in that space. could be anything. So your challenge this week is to do that on your own and let us know how it goes via social media. Uh, thank you. You know, I I really mean that. We're, we're doing something that's, that's really special and important to me here and um, your participation, your listening you're you're jumping in it means everything so we have a lot of stuff coming up we're building a lot a lot of our foundation right now and every man is about to really start to move so thanks guys have a good week